G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the first episode of the Footyology Audio Podcast. I'm Rowan Connolly, with me Mark Fine. We're going to chew over the issues of the week, preview the upcoming games for round two, talk about the media a bit, a bit self-indulgent but what the heck. And uh, a little segment at the end, Never Again, which we'll tell you about when we get there. But uh, very good morning to you, Mark Fine. How are you, Rowan? I'm okay. I'm a bit shabby after I've done Marngrook last night, episode two. It was uh, all good fun, but uh, off to the start of a new season. I think we're all pretty impressed with how it's opened. The footy's been good. Great to have footyology vodcast. I've been told to describe the podcast with vision that we do yes. on the Sunday night. Correct. This is a podcast and yes. uh, I think between the two programs we'll cover football as has been, as will be and everything in between which is in this town plenty. We'll get sick of the sound of our own voices. Let's hope no one else does. Well, let's let's not muck around. Let's get straight into it. One of the um, interesting issues the last couple of days has been this Adelaide pre-season camp and I've, I've got to say I'm sort of in putting on my media hat and it just smacks a little bit of a beat up to me and I'm just wondering if the issue with the Melbourne pre-season camp a couple of months ago hadn't happened whether we'd even be talking about this one. Well look it's sort of new age football mysticism almost. The team doesn't quite get over the line in the grand final they look for that extra one percent and don't Pike believes it can come through mental toughness, the type that can only be improved by waking people up at, in the middle of the night and making them go for a run and pouring cold water, not over their ideas, but actually over them, harden them by a camp. Really, to me, it's got hairs on it. And the actual theory, the actual idea behind it is certainly to build resi- resilience now, the fact that it's become a talking point because of the experience being difficult for some of the players, etc., and that information was leaked is, I think, the media trying, as you said, beating up a story and trying to create some something out of it, a, a level of conflict out of it that makes it a story. And, of course, in South Australia, in Adelaide, even a sniff of a story about either club is latched onto and run with for days. Well, I was talking to a very seasoned AFL player the other day about this, and he said, is it a story? And I said, nah, I'm not sure it is. And he said, the thing about conflict, and the media jump at any hint of conflict, but the fact is, at any club with a list of 40-odd players, there's always going to be some sort of conflict. It's just that 90% of it's sort of kept in-house, and there's then there's the issue about the scale of the conflict. But, you know, you're always going to have people blueing with the coach and or blueing with this staff member or blueing with this player. Rowan, you put two people together for an hour and there'll be conflict. Yeah. But some people can be on their own and suffer con- conflict. So, of course, you know, the and, and these sort of camps, if they are of any value... It brings those simmering, those conflicts and, and 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 problems to the surface. That's part of the part of the motivation for doing them. I've got to say, um, there's a story in the Herald Sun this morning and uh, disturbing revelations that um, probably the most shocking feature of the camp finding that the Adelaide players were made to repeatedly listen to the Richmond theme song, yeah. um, which, uh, which God, which you know what that is. That is torture. It's karmic justice because, first of all, in their two premierships, they did something that I think is unacceptable from a supporter's, from a passionate supporter's point of view. Part of their post-match celebrations when they went back to Adelaide 
was to lampoon the St Kilda and North Melbourne That's right, they did. That's right. By singing, oh, when the crows go marching in. Correct. And joining the chorus, sing it one and all, joining the chorus, the crows are on the ball. So if they felt some angst via club song, they're the one organisation that deserve it. But I, I, I've got to say, I read this story and the way it was reported, it was sort of like, oh no, it's torture. They were subjected to the Richmond theme song. Right, like like um, Guantanamo Bay type. Yeah, waterboarding. Yeah. Or, oral waterboarding. We are piping into your rooms the Richmond club song. But the funniest, Permanently. The funniest part of this were the reader comments. For once, I actually laughed at the reader comments in the Herald Sun and uh, special mention to Michael, whose comment was about the theme song. They could have just gone to the Royal on Punt Road to hear the song over and over. It would have been a lot cheaper and they would have got to see some titties as well. <laughs> <laughs> now this, um... and, and let's be honest, if you had to hear a club song over and over, it's probably the song. It, Imagine it if they lost to the Eagles. Yeah, oh, that is the absolute worst. No, so Richmond definitely the pick of the theme songs. I think we all imagine, agree imagine that. Imagine hearing that over and over. We're the big birds. What's that line in the Eagles song? Um, uh, the big birds the, for the big game. Kings of the big game where the yeah. Eagles were flying high. But there's a little-known second verse with that about all you wise men from the east uh, <laughs> will be part of an eagle feast or something. Now, now this camp... The um, people running the camp are called Collective Mind, and their uh, mission statement apparently is about unlocking the next frontier of high performance. I just hope that these guys have some sort of psychological training because um, you know it all. It all well, just it, well, it all sounds a bit sort of SAS ish, doesn't it? Well, I, I like these camps because they are supposed to take people to the limits of what they consider, the collective mind people consider, in sort of human durability and, and mental mental toughness. So when you put on a camp, you have certain obligations, obviously, beyond the actual um, set programs. There's also feeding, clothing, etc. Some basic requirements. But the beauty with this camp is if the food's terrible or they under-serve one of the meals or there's leaking in the camp tents or wherever they are in the barracks or there's no heating, they can all just put it down to part of the experience. Yeah. You can't under <laughs> you cannot under deliver on their product. I reckon it's great. I've been to some hotels that must have been run by collective mind. <laughs> and when you complain they should just say, Oh no, look it's it's a free service that we provide to broaden and extend your mental capabilities. <laughs> um, all right, let's move on. Uh, story uh, over the last couple of days, John Warsfold signed a new two-year extension, so he's now tied to Essendon to the end of 2020. Um, sort of went through with little fanfare. I guess it was largely expected. I, I've got, you know, I'm an Essendon, of the Essendon persuasion. I, I think he thoroughly deserves it. I think he's coached against a pretty uh, extraordinary backdrop, obviously getting to the club and then, you know, three months after getting there, realising he was going to have about half the list he counted on, of course, for 2016, and then all those players coming back and having to integrate that, and now they're sort of having a, a serious crack. It's always been, for a guy that's as, as accomplished a coach as him and with the record he's got, and a premiership under his belt and a couple of grand final appearances as a coach, he's always been, there's always been a bit of, um, what's the word, uh, reservation about his coaching ability, primarily on the tactical front. But as a man manager, uh, he's a very, I find him a very interesting character because he's so understated, doesn't give away much, but the players seem to really warm to him. Yeah, no question uh man management skills and getting a response from a group that had unique problems, tick those boxes, and on that score, the reappointment makes excellent. Uh, it's sound judgment, but I don't like these reappointments early in the season. I don't even like contracts anymore. Carlton, I think, have got it right. Uh, Brendan Bolton's not on a contract mm. each year. He's on perform staff. Perform okay. He's on staff. And we'll move on to the next year. Well, what's what's your problem with a contract for a coach? I think Essendon need to make the eight this year to consider the progress 
satisfactory. satisfactory. Yeah. That's not to say he should be dispensed with. Mm. But at the end of the year, if they were not to make the eight, then I think uh, the I think the club committee and, and those invested with employing the coach would just say to him, look, uh, we've gone backwards this year and there's going to be some pressure on you next year to perform. We're, we're, we're not going to um, sugarcoat it. If Essendon was to not make the eight this year, it would need to be turned around. Now, he's got two years beyond this season. Mm. I, I don't understand why. He's not going anywhere. No one else is taking him. Well, yeah, no, I'm, I, often I would put that argument, but you never know, do you? I mean, you know, we see a lot of surprising coaching appointments. You, you don't know that, say, Fremantle, for example, you know, Ross Lyons hardly setting the world on fire. Who's to say Freo wouldn't turn around and say, well, come home, John? Okay, well, if he's the sort of person that would come home under those circumstances, he's probably not the coach you wanted anyhow. Yeah. How, how do you find him as a, like, a lot of, like co- a, a lot of coaches we can sort of, pigeonhole in terms of their personalities or their game plan or whatever. Don't you do you understand that point I'm making about he's always been very hard to pigeonhole in that regard? I think think he's the most honest over the duration he's a more honest coach, not the most he's a more honest coach than most he said some things last year for example that were um, strange. Like what? They were only born out in honesty yeah Um, uh, I'm trying to remember early on in the season. Oh, when he said we were underprepared. Oh, that's right. Yeah, early in the year. Yeah, yeah. and it was just, it was, it was how he felt. Mm. And then later in the year, he said that our best football is the best in the competition. Mm. Which big call? Yeah, that's that's a big call for a coach to make. That's something a a, a fan makes or a committeeman might. Yeah, but not a. And to be honest, it it almost spoke to the truth that if that is true, which against Port Adelaide almost was the fact, then your worst must be right up there with Brisbane and Gold Coast. I tell you, one thing I like about him, he's very firm in what he believes in him yeah. and sort of not easily swayed. And at the moment, the fashion is all about pressure, 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 defence rules, attack second. Uh, I think he's more sort of geared towards attack. And, and oh, he is. Yeah. Way, way so. Yeah. Is, is he, has he been... Obstinate over maybe, let's say, Hooker, who stays as a forward. Yeah. Sometimes in games when it seems obvious to most that he should be switched down back, he seems quite rigid in his placement of players. Yeah, yeah. And, but you've got to say the Hooker thing in round one was certainly indicated, but that, that involved. Leaving him forward involved a show of faith in um, Hartley and Brown, yeah. and a lot of Essendon people, including me, have their reservations about those two. But they did the job, so yeah, they'll, they'll be tougher forward line oh, than Jenkins and correct, yeah, Adelaide and without and Walker and Lynch. Pieces, so. Yeah, no, he's an interesting one, and um, you well, know, I like it. Does he sit in the coach's box on his own sometimes? Uh, what do you mean after a game or no, something? No, during the game. No, there's other people there. I've, yeah, I've seen him quite isolated though during games. Yeah, um, maybe with one other person. He doesn't. I don't know if this is every week. He doesn't seem to have the full battery of eight coaches all the time. It's a uh, the cra- the coach's box does get pretty uh, pretty crowded those actually, days. Actually, definitely in round one he had the full coach's box, but I've seen him quite isolated. And also, interestingly. He's got a lot of assistant coaches who are ex-coaches. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting coaching panel. We, we might get onto that one later on. Yep. Okay, uh, just quickly, story um, in the paper today about uh, the AFL perhaps moving to a two-day draft, which would incorporate live trading of picks. Um, of course, this is coming once again from a US example. The NFL will have a three-day draft. And I must say my initial feeling is why? Is it simply to keep the AFL in the news cycle again in the off-season? Oh, I think we all agree that the trade period is generally an inactive couple of weeks now that could be condensed. Yeah, the, the only motivation here could be, they will say process, but to the public, no matter what the real motivation is, it appears to be uh, oxygen, oxygen uh, grabbing. 
and depriving other sports of the same oxygen. Yeah, yeah, I've got big doubts about it. The public it. will think that no matter what. Whether or not the process requires it, that's what the public will think. Now, uh, it'd be remiss of us, although this is a footy podcast, not to touch on the ball tampering escapades in South Africa because they sort of touch Australian sport per se. Now, uh, you have a football context for this. Just before that, the, the punishment's handed down. Uh, 12 months to Warner and Smith seem fair. But surely... It's tough. Surely Cameron Bancroft has received punishment enough. I always used to at school, if I got in trouble, there were sometimes occasions where the teacher would say, well, I think you've punished yourself, you know, uh, uh, certain times when maybe I had um, absconded from school, for example, and and had to end up taking four trams and a bus to get home because I thought it was clever to nick off early. Hasn't he been punished enough? Now that we know it's sandpaper and that sandpaper spent the best part of a session down his underpants. Um, <laughs> it's punishment in itself. Correct. The, mm. the balls that were tampered with were not just the kookaburra. <laughs> yeah. from, a, from a footy sense, they learnt nothing from football and I know that the two New South Welshmen live in the bubble that is Sydney and probably know nothing of AFL, but just as Langdon learnt nothing from Jeremy Howe, these people learnt nothing from the experience that when you're caught, tell the truth. Yeah. I mean, Collingwood Football Club has been a perfect example of layer upon layer of being caught out and then lying about it. I think that's what people dislike the most. They had me on side as being probably um, harshly treated until we found out that the yellow tape was, in fact, sandpaper. So whatever they get, they deserve. Well, huge ramifications. We might... And Lehman should be part of it too because he was part of the yellow tape story. Well, we might touch on this in the context of our next segment. On Footyology Media Watch... Okay, time for Media Watch. Now, we did this segment last year, Finey, and... Uh, well received. It well was received. well received. I think there is a lot of interest in how the media go about covering sport, football in particular. There was... A, look, one observation, a bit of physician heal thyself, that we need to look at ourselves in the um, context of being part of the media, so... Oh, absolutely. Not... Well, we are. Um... But, I, you know, I, I'm, I, I tend to be more critical of the media as I get older. Maybe I'm less sort of worried about the consequences. I wanted to kick us off, um, and it's a hard one to sort of encapsulate, but it, it's really struck me that with the proliferation of media coverage of, of everything, but football particularly, the one-time opinion leaders uh, in terms primarily of newspapers, and I'm talking about the Herald Sun and the Age, I could, I've really noticed it over the last 12 months, particularly the uh, subsiding of the amount of clout they carry. And, and what I mean by that is that even 10 years ago, if the, you woke up in the morning and the Age or Herald Sun had a big footy story, that would set the agenda for the days, uh, even weeks to come. You'd have the strong opinion pieces by the respective you know, leaders of the coverage, be it Caroline Wilson for the Age or Mark Robinson, the, the Herald Sun. I've really noticed um, of late that it, it, it they just both papers don't sort of have the impact in the football media world than than they did, and I think that's a result of a number of things. I think um, newspapers are being read by fewer people. There's far more alternatives now uh, online and on television or whatever in, in terms of that uh, news breaking and opinion. Um, and I think the news cycle now, perhaps as a result of that, is so never-ending that That's what, the key. what is a big story, inevitably, even now, unless it's something like the ball tampering in a cricket context, it never lasts more than a couple of days because someone else emerges with another, quote, unquote, big story. Well, of course, the, I think the key here is the chron chronology of the big story. In fact, of any news story. So to try and explain that, for most Australians, virtually all Australians, Farlap wasn't dead until the newspaper banner, He's Dead, appeared in grates in front of 
news agents and people that sold milk bars and people that sold newspapers. Mm. Today, if Farlap died, and it was today, within two minutes, it would be on everybody's lips. Well, today's media, you have people proclaim dead before they've died. <laughs> That's just to beat the brush. <laughs> but, but basically, in the past, the headline on the back of the age or the sun or the herald or the herald sun, and sometimes big enough to even be on the front, was the first time people knew of that story. Mm. There are now uh, very few stories that can be preserved to the time of printing and releasing of a newspaper. Yeah. So basically they are echoing what's already been, even if that story is broken by that newspaper's lead journalist, yeah. it will go online before it's in the newspaper. Yeah. And as such, it becomes just part of the of of the ocean of online information that people receive and nothing's too devastating or extraordinary and certainly nothing is attributed to an individual. So we don't have now that person with clout. Yes. He speaks, we listen. Well, I was going to say, uh, there are... Un- she speaks, we listen. Uh, there are... Oh, nice one. There are unintended consequences of this, which I think the punters will probably appreciate. One is exactly what you say, that like one person's whim or one person's agenda isn't going to drive an entire... Uh, and it used to. It, it is a fact that back in the day, Alf Brown, the incredibly powerful chief football writer of the Herald, yeah. um, had sets against a certain certain players, certain clubs even, mm. and that was footy think at the time. That was... It was. It could only be countered by uh, writings in the A in the Sun, Herald being distinct from the Sun, which were more less had less gravitas. Yeah. And then the Age, maybe Ron Carter, mm. but uh, also a serious player. Peter Simonovich in the o- Sun. Also a, a serious player. Yeah. But Alf Brown held a position of great importance, and even in his match previews, um, you would you would. It would be imbued with certain players being um, not tough but dirty, you know, yeah, yeah. and that would be the standard thing. Of course, uh, at least even then, um, we were talking about the football, and you and I have both talked at length about the hijacking of the football conversation often dragged off the field so that we spend a week talking about some staffing crisis at AFL headquarters or, or what do they call it, head office or whatever, and... Has that, has that eased a bit? Well, that's exactly what I'm getting at here. I, I think that has definitely eased a bit, partly because... Caroline's retired? Uh, well, she hasn't retired, but she... <laughs> she, she no, but that, that is true. I mean, that is true. I'm not even saying this in a um, uh, a sort of accusatory Critical manner. Yeah. No, that that is her strength. And now she's not writing day to day. That conversation tends to be more game-focused. And sorry... Caro, uh, I think that's a good thing because I think people want to hear primarily about what's going on in the field. But it means because you've got this sort of proliferation now, there's a whole spread of stories going on and there's not one that's deemed to be more important than any other. I think that's a good thing, but it's totally accidental. May I say, just on Caroline Wilson, she still has a voice yeah, and she still seems to have uh, the ear or... or at least her ear is close to the ground with some information that is, once again, she seems only privy to. You do have to sound her out, but um, she actually spoke last week about Gil McLaughlin and the AFL's growing concern about St Kilda. Yeah. And it was a good story. It was, you know, well balanced, constructed and orated by her because I heard her talking about it. Mm. Um, So she's still relevant, don't get me wrong, but... You're right, that, that drive out of the back of the newspaper is now more game-based. Well, the, and the difference, and I actually think this might be doing her a favour too, is that you'll hear her uh, articulate that or write that or whatever once so you get the full story. You don't get this sort of dribble of information over a course of days so you're led to think this is the only thing in football that matters. Was, and- that, was that a technique, an intentional technique by a paper? Did edi- Did editors tell journalists, look, if you've got a big story, let's um, 
it's almost presented in an episodic manner to keep sales up. Like, don't don't give it your all. Hold some back. Uh, some might disagree with me, but I would say absolutely not. I, I think that, and it's when people come out and talk about these sorts of conspiracies, they're giving uh, newspapers far too much credit. It is such a uh, bun fight to get the thing out day after day. You don't have time to sort of, there's no, not that level of planning. It's sort of like, okay, here's a big story, and then the next day everyone rolls in the office. Okay, we've made the running here. What can we get out of that story now? You don't think that far so ahead. So you don't have a big one on Monday and say, oh, the cat's out of the bag on Wednesday? I, not in my experience. Um, not in my experience. You, you just don't have that time. Anyway, look, we're, you know, these are themes we'll revisit, I'm sure, but it really has struck me that, um, you know, the, the Age and the Herald Sun particularly, it's just, they're just two of innumerable media outlets now in which you can read about football. They don't have that same gravitas that they did. All right, make a note. Uh, next week, I'll, on the podcast next week, I'll tell a story about myself and Caroline Wilson where we locked horns in a humorous manner but an interesting manner in the you know in the public space and how I did tease it out and how it was sort of choreographed was this a bit of fun okay well like face to face or no 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 this was uh, Caro's arrow and my response oh and yeah I do I'll remember ex- that. and I'll explain how it played out and it was um there was a bit of theatre involved. I do remember that. And a uh, big hello to you, Caro, if you're out there, given that I haven't spoken to you for some time and never got to actually say farewell to you when I left the age back at the end of June last year. Mwah. Anyway, I miss you. It's oh, been that's fun. from him. All right, uh, you <laughs> wanted to touch on a couple of things in Media Watch. Yeah, look, I'm always going to keep an eye on the votes that are given in a game and best players, and I can be a little scathing and the first person to get a... Uh, find his arrow. No, I'm, I'm not going to shoot arrows. I'm going to shoot... Um, Bullets is okay. Andrew Hamilton up in Cairns covering the game between oh, he's, Brisbane and He's North a ripping Melbourne. bloke, Hamo. Go uh, on, what did he do? What did he do? The bloke of the century. Uh, first of all, in his best players, six named for the for uh, the. Sorry, this is the game between Gold Coast and North Melbourne. Gold Coast and North Melbourne up in Cairns in the rain. Uh, six players named in the best for Gold Coast. I didn't find a spot for Jared Witts. Jared Witts was brilliant. Um, 40-something hit-outs, many to advantage, uh, 21 possessions, which is one of the leading possession winners for the game, in pouring rain, took six marks, which was a great effort, ground Goldstein into the dirt in the finish. He really did. He, They were even at half-time, the two most influential players on the ground. Goldstein ran out of steam, and Wits just took them over the line. Not in the best players. He gave a vote which meant third best on the ground to a kid called Ben Ainsworth. Ben was good in the second quarter, kicked a couple of clever goals, had seven possessions at halftime, three kicks and four handballs, finished with five kicks and five handballs, and those last two kicks were deemed ineffective. In fact, one of them was a clanger. So in the second half, he touched it three times and gave it away twice and had no influence on the game, and he got a vote, which is extraordinary, Andrew. Good bloke. Maybe too good a bloke as far as Ben Ainsworth is concerned. Okay, I, I, I've got to. I take that on board. I've got to mount a defence here um, of people doing match reports for papers in night games. It is a hell of a job, and inevitably you've got to file literally on the siren. So you actually have to have written the bulk of your match report when the siren goes. It wasn't a night game. It was enough. It was. No, yeah. Gold Coast North, that was a night game. Ran simultaneously to Hawthorne Collingwood. Yeah, that was at night. Yeah. Yeah, it was 7.30. 7.30 yeah. start, yeah. was it? Yeah, no, no. a bit earlier. Okay, fair enough. It was a night game. 6.30 so, um, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It still would have been tight. You, I, I can tell you, um, you spend, particularly the last quarter, you're lucky if you see two minutes of the game. You're so busy what, thumping it out. Well, I'm telling you, that's, I think, what happened. Because Ainsworth yeah. was influential to halftime. But yeah. Um, and Wits was brilliant in, as, as the game progressed. So, I, look, I, I've got... Uh, often people look at your best and go, how can you give this guy votes or whatever? And it's 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 a weak sort of defence in a way, isn't it? But unfortunately, it's the truth. If you're writing a match report in a night game, you will 
be you'll you'll see as much of your keyboard as you will of the game in the last quarter because you're just trying to churn it out and meet that deadline. So I'm not excusing poor voting, but there there are sort of complications that go with covering a night game for a paper, I think, and um, fair to at least sort of stick up for Hamo in that regard. Um, uh, ladies and gentlemen, please note the protest on... Fine v Hamilton has been dismissed, dismissed, protest, dismissed. You've been at the races when that siren comes on. Yeah, yeah. You know yeah. how you can tell, right? So when the what tell when, what whether it's dismissed dis- or upheld. upheld. How? So if it's dismissed, it goes. Ladies and gentlemen, please note the protest on race number four, third versus second, has been dismissed, as compared to, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> okay. the protest on race number four. You know, it is. It's presented with such. Well, well, that's uh, triumphal yeah, theatre when the, it's upheld. In the same way, you can always tell when an umpire in a game is going to pay holding the ball as opposed to just ball it up. Yeah, if yeah. he's going to just ball it up, he'll just sort of saunter. Yeah. And if he's going to pay holding the ball, Pause. there's that extra. Yeah, right. In 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 the whistle, but then the port, then the moment of of is everybody watching? Yeah, because yeah. I'm about to bow down and do a do football's great curtsy. It's a great <laughs> symbol holding the ball. Well, we had um, we had Ray Chamberlain in it. SEN last year on stage, and I, I forgot to ask him, how do you actually inject more theatre into your running? You know, how can there be a sort of pedestrian run and then this sort of Hollywood run? But you can tell when they're going to pay it. There's just more purpose about the way they run into the contest. Now, just quickly, I'll, I have to say this about umpiring. Yeah. You know, I think it was made, a decision was made in the early days. Every decision was matched with an action. So the crowd could tell, yeah. you know, too high, dropping. We all know what they are. You know the one below the knees? Oh, the sliding yeah. thing. Yeah. There's no, there's no um, uh, there's signal. No, there's no you sure concurrent miming theatre that goes with it. Are you sure there's no signal what is it? for it? Yeah, no, I couldn't tell you what it was. Intentional out of bounds is, is sort of pretending you're in a bowling alley yeah. and bowling the ball. I love when they do that on the run, running and then, whoa, yeah. that's a spare. Did, well, did you see the one they made up for AFLX, the last touch one? It was the... Yeah, uh, yeah, the uh, helicopter. The, well, the power play in cricket. It was yeah. the, No, I think you're right. Oh, well, if anyone does know if there is a signal and what it is for the sliding rule... Yeah. Uh, in fact, what is the rule called? It's not sliding rule, below is it? The it's knees. dangerous contact yeah, below, the below the knees. Yeah, you below the knees. All right, there's one for the umpiring... So maybe department. they should signal to their knees... Yeah. And then their toes. And they say, knees to toes. And what does that remind you of? Heads and shoulders, exactly. knees and toes. Knees and toes. And that's why everybody and, should be able to do it. And what's the rest? And ear and mouth and eyes and nose. Heads Head and, and shoulders, shoulders, knees, knees and, and toes. Knees and toes. Free kick to north. Okay, let's get on to our next segment. On Footyology. Previews with Punch. Rightio, previews with Punch. We're going to fly through them, but uh, big round two coming up. Uh, spread over five days the Easter round. It's always a bit of a marathon. Starting in Adelaide at 7.50 Melbourne time, Adelaide Oval. And, of course, it's a grand final rematch, Finey, the Crows and the Tigers. What do you reckon? Uh, Look, the Tigers were so comprehensive in their dismantling of Adelaide football that Adelaide had to go on a camp, apparently. (laughs) So I just think uh, advantage Richmond... Lynch remains a big out for the Adelaide Crows. Richard Douglas is actually a pretty big out as well. I know that um, he's one of those sort of quiet footballers that get about their business, does Richard Douglas? Yeah. They had two of them. One of them went to Hawthorne Henderson. But I think uh, a big enough out. Richmond deserve to be tipped in this because they were so comprehensive in that grand final win. I, I Look, you know what? I was going to tip them. Um, the out's still considerable for the Crows, but I don't think the Crows were that bad last week considering who was out. Um, I think they're at home. I think the, you know, the, the sting factor will fire them up a bit. No disrespect to the Tigers at all, but they weren't outstanding last week. I thought they came good when they needed to, and it was an efficient win in the end. But I, I reckon the Crows just might have enough angst about what happened last year to get over the line, so I'm sticking with the home side on this one. Just on that, I think Adelaide have got the wrong backline for Richmond. Their backline remains quite tall, and without Brody Smith, I've always felt that they were probably 
one small backman short. Yeah. And one is now two because of Brody Smith. I don't think they've got the right backline to play against Richmond. Uh, fair call. All right, we di- we differ on that one. Let's move on to Good Friday, the second Good Friday game. Of course, I gave the doggies the lemonade and sass. For some reason, we know not. But uh, Good Friday afternoon, 4.20 at Etihad Stadium, North Melbourne having uh, survived a drowning in Cairns take on the Saints, who got the job done against Brisbane. Same venue for them. Your thoughts? Yeah, St Kilda generally play pretty well at Etihad Stadium. And they played North there last year in probably one of the worst games of the year. North were terrible. And North Melbourne need to move the ball quickly to take advantage of their only strength, which is Ben Brown and Jared Waite. And that's probably where St Kilda have shored things up in the last year to the satisfaction of their supporters, which is Carlisle and Nathan Brown, are good key defenders. So I don't think they're going to be terribly embarrassed by what North Melbourne would consider to be their weapons. Uh, Going the other way, um, St Kilda were able to kick six goals in the first quarter and then kick a lot of goals in the last quarter and a bit to get a decent score on the board. I think they've got the scoring power to beat North and will win. Yeah, I'm I'm going with the Saints. Look, I've sort of waved the flag for North a bit. I think I put them 14th on the ladder, which is about as high as anyone's had them. Um, I don't know what to make of that game in Cairns. I mean, what what do you make of it? It wasn't a typical football game. They certainly hung in there for quite a while. To be honest, it's a game North should have won. If you think what North's strengths are, what they don't have is outside run and dash. But with Zeeble and Cunnington and some big bodies in the middle... Yeah. Playing Gold Coast in a slog in the wet, I would have thought that that's served up better for them yeah. than a running game. I'm dis- I think they would be disappointed not to have been able to get something out of that game. Do you want two bites at this cherry, do you? You're effectively doing my preview. Sorry, no, mate. no, no, that's that's all right. You've got more intelligent stuff to say about it than I have at this stage. Uh, shouldn't they have won? Shouldn't they have done better? Uh yeah, possibly, possibly. I, I, I guess the one thing you worry, and we'll, we'll notice this with the Suns too, is how draining that slog was and also readjusting from, you know, the tropics or whatever. I thought the Saints looked better the longer that game went and I I guess I'm just expecting that to continue. So St Kilda for me in that one. Let's move on to Saturday. Uh, We've got four games on Saturday instead of the usual five. So kicks off at Etihad at 1.45 Melbourne time with Carlton taking on the aforementioned Suns. Well, you go. You, you take first part um, of this. Well, I, I was really impressed with the boys last week. And, you know, like Carlton Spores ago, well, we didn't win, you know. But, geez, lost by 20, what, five points to the reigning Premier. A contest until really late in the game. What I really liked about Carlton was their preparedness to take the game on. And uh, hats off to Brendan Bolton. You know, he spent two years teaching him defence and done a pretty good job with it, but they haven't been able to score. I think you can tell already that there's been a real focus on becoming a more attacking and, and free-scoring team. And as we noted in uh, Footyology TV on Sunday evening, um, they had produced two guys that kicked five goals each. How often is uh, you know how long since that happened? Is that good? Is that side? a good or bad thing for the next game? Uh, I think it's a good thing. There, there, what was interesting? There was some angst about the fact they conceded seventy inside fifties, but you, you know you can't have your cake and eat it too. If you're going to to establish some more uh, attacking prowess. I think you have to sort of relinquish a little bit of that defensive stinginess. Um, And I think it's a balance that is far more uh, requisite with a team that's actually threatening other teams. So I I liked what the Blues did. No disrespect to the Suns at all. And the Suns have played some decent footy at Eddie had too. So I don't think it's a stroll in the park for the Blues by any means, but I think they're good enough to win it. I'm tipping the Suns in this. Carlton are going to try and play a more attacking brand of football. At the MCG, if you make a mistake going down the corridor and attacking, you you sort of can get another crack at it because of the open nature of football at the MCG, the wide, the width of the ground. You can sometimes recover from it. You make that same mistake at Gold Coast, at uh, at uh, Eddie Head mm. against Gold Coast, and it's just a question whether it's a goal or a point. Yeah. So. So you're going for Gold Coast. So I'm going for Gold Coast because Carlton are going to have to temper what they did against Richmond at Etihad Stadium. Otherwise, 
they're going to find themselves on the receiving end of so many turnover goals, which is how you lose games at Eddie Head. Okay, so we're divided again on that. Uh, Mark Fine going for the Suns, Roku going for the Blues. Let's go to the MCG, 4.35 Saturday afternoon, Collingwood. Oh, the knives coming out for the pies already, taking on GWS, who last week in Canberra looked absolutely awesome. No Cox, no Collingwood. <laughs> um, no, GWS just on what on on evidence seen in this season, and probably GWS aren't as good as that, and Collingwood aren't as bad. There's still enough of a separation between these two to tip the Giants. Yeah, I, I agree. No, the, look, the Giants looked awesome, and they can look awesome, but, uh, you know, it's all there, isn't it? I mean, forward line potent, uh, what was it, Patton, Cameron, Green, 12 goals between them, Cornelio, Shield, dominant midfield. Pies, they're, they're, gee, there's an argument they're one of the least skilled sides in the AFL at the moment. Yeah. We On Mungrook last night, we were talking about them. We rattled off a list of about eight players whose kicking at AFL level is really, really questionable. And it just means they don't get value for their entries. Um, and I, I think there could be... I think there could be some big ramifications out of this if they get smacked. And I mean, who's their best midfielder, Collingwood? At the moment, steel side bottom. Okay. Um, Pendles is... Yeah, Pendles is... Oh, he's still Pendles. I love Pendles, but uh, he's struggling It was a, a leading question that you've... What are you getting? Oh, sorry. Well, it's, some people would say Trelaw. Nah. Well, I'm just saying he's a GWS player, isn't he? Oh, I see. Sorry, sorry. I, you should have set me up in advance. Yeah, but I'm just saying that... Uh, you watched GWS. I, watched them, I turned on the game and it already started against the Doggies. Yeah. And... I thought, oh, Kelly, he looks good. To Cornelio, gee, he looks great. Yeah. Over to Shield, how well's he going? And it took about five minutes for Whitfield to get a possession. Yeah. And I'd forgotten that he played for him. Yeah. And I started hating them again because <laughs> as each new player got the ball, I thought, how's he still... What? Yeah. And, and then you There's think, so many of and them. Then, well, then you think about the dozen good players they've given up Correct. over the last It's year. amazing. Well, give us a quick margin on that one. Uh, 19 points. Yeah, Not huge, I, I, reckon it, I reckon it might be more. I reckon it might be about seven goals. Okay. Anyway, we'll see. Both going for the Giants there. Let's head up to the Gabba Saturday evening, 7.25 uh, Melbourne time, 6.25 local time. Brisbane taking on Melbourne. Um, I'll lead the way there. I, we disagreed on Footyology TV about Melbourne. I thought Melbourne were okay against the Cats, who are going to be a pretty reasonable side. Yes, they're missing Dangerfield. I thought Melbourne did well to haul themselves back into a game that they were nearly five goals down in. Even last year, that might have been a game they just threw in the towel and got smashed in. I, I thought that I, th- I I reckon there's a, a more resilient streak about them. At, you sound all, like a Melbourne supporter. Well, <laughs> easily plays. Well, I'm not. Um, I mean, you know, albeit we're basing this on a one-game sample, but uh, I just like the way they've put that side together. I, I think they'll continue to grow psychologically. Um, Brisbane, not to be sneezing at, but I, I think the Demons will win. Yeah, Brisbane have got a <laughs> Brisbane have got a big problem, and that forward line remains the issue. They've got a midfield that works well. Zorko was well held last week by Kobe Stevens of St Kilda. That's a bit of a blueprint going forward. I wonder who will get the job for Melbourne. Somebody needs to be given that job. But I think Melbourne have too many uh, options for Brisbane, where Brisbane doesn't have too many options because their forward line, Eric Hipwood does not get the ball enough and is not yet an AFL footballer. And this goes on much longer. He'll go down in the group of players that include Daniel Bandy and others who are athletically brilliant, tantalisingly talented at times, but net result not enough. Oh, I'm going to mark that one down. Eric Hipwood and Daniel Bandy. Wow, that's damning someone with a faint prize. Who's who's on the receiving end of the worst of that? Bandy was acclaimed as a ruckman who could play forward or back with athletic I've got to stop, stop saying athletic. It makes me sound like I'm 80. Athletic prowess. Mm. At the moment, that's all Hipwood gives to the game because he has rarely had more than 10 possessions in a game of football and he's honing in on his 50th game. I'm not giving up on him yet, but we're both going Melbourne there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, 8.10 Melbourne time, 6.10 uh, or 5? 5.10 local time. Uh, Fremantle taking on Essendon. At Optus Stadium, um, 
Bombers, good comeback win last week, but uh, you wouldn't you wouldn't be doing cartwheels about it because their first three quarters weren't great. On the other hand, Fremantle, I looked at them, and we're talking about Collingwood, more of the same. I looked at Freo playing Port, and I just thought, oh, more of the same. This rebuild, I'm beginning to think this Freo rebuild's a complete furphy. Who are their best players against Port? Aaron Sandilands, Nat Fife, Lockie Neal. What does that oh, There's one other player who oh, maybe uh, part I thought Tabena did pretty well. Yeah, yeah I'm not a, not a fan. But overall, do you see much sign that there's regeneration going on no. there? No, and I said that last year. They've got a a whole swathe of players who are hard to recognise by us in the East, who are supposed to be their next generation, who really haven't done anything, and none of them stand out to me as being much of a way forward. I agree. I I think if they if you think that they've got the list now that will in three years be challenging for anything, you're wrong. Yeah, and no, I agree. So uh, Bombers got a shocking record in Perth, but yep. you reckon they're good enough to win? Well, they've never lost at this ground, so I'll tip them. <laughs> no, well, that is a factor because it does, to a degree, negate the home ground advantage and WA sides, uh, none from one at the ground so far. So we're both going for the Bombers there. All right, let's zip through uh, two games on Sunday, Western Bulldogs, West Coast. Jeez, well, Eagle's pretty handy against Sydney. I, I don't think you, you uh, get overly upset about that loss if you're an Eagle fan, but Doggies just stunk it up, and they've got big issues. Tom Liberatore gone for the season. Uh, gee, I haven't considered my tip now, but I will while you give yours. I'm going to tip the Bulldogs. Um, it's going to be tough without Kennedy for the Eagles. Luke Ryan, young kid, uh, up forward. No for mine as yet. Darling just isn't somebody you can play through. And I thought, you know what, even though it's the first time at Optus for an AFL game in Perth, it, the crowd lifted them, the emotion lifted them. They'll have none of that at Eddie Head Stadium, and I am tipping the dogs. Gee, um, Eagles have had a few close shaves at Eddie Head without getting the chockies. So and I reckon in all of them, Kennedy's been highly influential. Yeah, no, it's a fair point. I'm really agonising over this, but you know what? I'm going to I'm going to go with the Eagles. I'll give them a chance. Uh, I think the dogs are in a, a bit of strife already, personnel-wise. Yep. All right, so uh, one for the doggies and one for the Eagles there. Okay, 4.40 in Sydney. We've got the Swans and Port Adelaide. Good game. Match of the round. Yeah, what do you reckon? And that was the game last year, the shock win by Port at the start in of the season. One, yeah. That set a bit of a rot for the Sydney Swans. No problems this time. Sydney are up and running. Buddy's up and running. Parker's up and running, given that goal he kicked. Yeah. Will Haywood's up and running. He got two goals for one, two for one at the end of the game. Yeah. Uh, they've got enough good players. Port are an impressive side. Should be a great game. But Sydney, who are conscious of getting off to a good start, will remember round one last year and not make the same mistake. I'm going for Port. I, I thought they looked great against Freo. I rate them highly. I think they're very flexible, uh, and I think their record against the Swans is pretty fair, and I'm going for the upset there, Port Adelaide. i tell you what, between us, you've got every winner for the round, because I think we've t- tipped almost every game <laughs> Well, this is good. This is what we want, differing opinions. Okay, it f- wraps up with the now traditional Easter Monday game, Geelong. Hawthorne, yes, they've had some epic battles over the years. Looks like the Hawks might be a contender again. If gee, uh, That uh, regeneration's happened very quickly. And the Cats, um, no Dangerfield last week. Is he going to be back just quickly, Dangerfield? Line ball. Yeah, okay. Um, look, no matter where they are on the ladder, I feel like saying. They're, they're always great games. Uh, Geelong pretty impressive last week. Uh, Ablett and Selwood, 80-odd touches between them. So even if Danger doesn't play, they're going to have a pretty strong midfield presence. Then again, Tom Mitchell got 54, didn't he? So the midfield battle is going to be great. I reckon the Cats just look a bit uh, a bit more rounded as a team to me. I'm, I'm going for the Cats narrowly. Well, I'm going to go for the Hawks, uh, mainly because you went for the Cats. No, not really. <laughs> because uh, there's, um, you know what, there are three guys made their debut for Geelong. Great efforts, but the emotion that would have carried them to greater, greater deeds against Melbourne... Um, it's a bit hard second game up for for some of their kids, and I just think Hawthorne. I love Sicily in the back line. Yeah, he's good. No Harry Taylor up the other end mm. is telling for mine, and I'll go for the Hawks. 
All right. Well, there you go. We've got uh, we only agreed on about two, but that's how we like it. Lots of uh, contrasting views on the games ahead. It's a great round two, spread over five days. Uh, mark those tips down and judges on them next week. On Footyology, never again. All right, our final segment. It's uh, a different one. We're calling it Never Again, and you explain it quickly. It's simply a one of those statements that you can hang us by sometime later in our careers or during the season, but it's the big statement that every football fan and every football watcher comes up with seemingly round by round and we're going to indulge ourselves in doing the same. All right. Well, I think I know where you're coming from. So here's my first one. Never again will I roll my eyes when Dermot Brereton starts salivating over the magic of Cyril Rioli. Now, there's a bit of a view out there that Cyril gets overhyped. At times, I've sort of thought, oh, no, no, we're not talking about Rioli again. After that Collingwood game, for chock full of Cyril moments. He just he the way he gets his hands in and intercepts a handball that set up about three or four goals. I reckon there was an incredible moment where he tackled, picked himself up off the ground, chased down a Collingwood player again, picked it up, sent the ball to Ricky Henderson for a goal. Did the same thing in the first quarter where he chased down Braden Maynard. The turnover gave Sean Burgoyne a goal. He kicked one himself in the last quarter. He is, I honestly cannot think of another player in my time watching footy who can do as much damage with so few touches. And he's a gun, so never again when people start, uh, E.G. Derm and, and Bruce, well, it's interesting you said, foaming at the mouth, will I scoff. Interesting you said Derm salivates over him. Why? I was thinking of other bodily fluids being emitted. Yeah, it's okay, okay. This but, is a uh, G-rated you, podcast. I'm glad you mentioned Bruce. Okay, yeah, no, I had to mention Bruce. All right, you're never again. Never again will I say St Kilda would justify it, correct, and showed great wisdom in selecting Patrick McCartan ahead of Christian Petrarca. Now, Petrarca tracks as a powerhouse midfielder and forward, a game-changer, a game-winner, and... I can just close my eyes and put him in the St Kilda forward line with Bruce and Membry doing the hard donkey work and competing aerially, bringing the ball down for Billings. If those two were bringing the ball down for Billings, Gresham and Petrarca, that's a forward line that could really punish people. But with Paddy McCartan, uh, St Kilda's got real problems. He kicked the first goal against Brisbane and then was unsighted. He can't play below his knees. I reckon... In a contest, my 11-year-old daughter would do her shoelaces up quicker than Paddy McCartan, and he's got problems above the shoulder because if he gets another knock to the head, that might be it for his career. Never again will I say St Kilda did the right thing in taking McCartan over Petrarca. Ooh, tough call to uh, finish us off there. That's the end of our uh, first audio podcast of a new season. Of course, make sure you watch Footyology TV up on YouTube and on footyology.com.au on Monday evening, Easter Monday, after the completion of the Geelong Hawthorne uh, game to finish round two. Gee, we're doing a lot of talking, and uh, there's a lot to be done yet, finally, so uh, good to get going. And a big thank you to Carl. Big thank you to Carl for panelling and producing this magnificent podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll catch you same time next week.